Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. With me today, Andy Murray, who is the founder and executive chair of the Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative in the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And we are very fortunate to have him join us for this because he has an experience that is quite remarkable and relevant to the customer-centric focus. In fact, most recently, he was chief customer officer at Walmart ASDA. He did that for four years. And prior to that, he was senior vice president of marketing, creative and marketing operations at Walmart in Bentonville. Prior to that, he founded a company uh, called Mercury 11, and he sold it a year later. Prior to that, he was founder and CEO and chairman of Saatchi and Saatchi X, which really started out as Thompson and Murray, and he did that for about 15 years. And earlier in his career, he was with Procter & Gamble on the global Walmart customer team for many years. And he has a computer science degree. So thank you so much, Andy, for joining me and joining the Walton College. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's a real privilege to be connected to the university and be part of this initiative. It's something so near and dear to my heart in terms of uh, the importance of the topic. And it kind of spans pretty much a career of thinking and working in this customer space. So I'm just uh, really honored to be part of the initiative. You know, it's interesting. um, When you think about customer centrism, it can't be within a function. It seems like it's one of those topics that spans all functions of a business. Do you you agree with that? Well, I do. And that's what kind of makes it hard because we do much better sometimes when we define things as a single discipline or as a function. And we know how to incorporate and deal with that organizationally a lot easier than sometimes something that feels more like an approach. And when you take it as an approach to business, it um, it crosses a lot of boundaries and silos horizontally. And sometimes those disciplines are are not those those ideas of an approach aren't probably as as defined in the business community in terms of how you put the interoperability together to face that customer challenge. You know, at, at the same time, you think about it from a business perspective. Customer centrism seems central to business. So it's kind of interesting that um, I, I guess the challenge is for a really big company or even a small company that's growing fast, it's really hard to get everyone focused on the customer and not to get lost on rabbit trails that they're working on. But it it seems like there's tools that can help, but but you definitely need a leader, don't you, in an organization to be able to drive that? 
Well, you do. And, you know, often the CEO really is the chief customer officer in many ways because uh, they tend to get the letters from the customer. Uh, the buck stops with them when you start thinking about a customer challenge. And that's who you end up writing a lot of times. And I saw that firsthand at ASDA, even with the title I had of chief customer officer, uh, Roger Burnley, our CEO, would tend to get, you know, 10 times as many, you know, customer letters because that's who the customer thinks of. And so you can't deny the fact the CEO really is at some level the owner of that total customer relationship but you know Matt I think I think the the change that I'm seeing is really driven by you know what's happening with omnichannel uh, and looking at at customer in a different way and instead of looking at it just as a values-based idea that you, customers number one and and something that's philosophical it's it's becoming something that has a transactional face to it in terms of how do you show end-to-end -end customer experience and journey and you know a lot of retailers especially would have a, a an e-commerce side that might manage that customer interaction one way with an e-commerce team that's completely different organization if you will than the brick and mortar teams and and actually different ways of going at the business and in the dot-com space or the e-commerce end you'll have product management as a discipline that's building out, you know, user and stories and connecting those stories together. And the customer journey is everything. But in a typical, you know, brick and mortar operation, that area of, of designing a user experience using that same project management focus, it doesn't tend to, to, to work the same way. So you get this collision. And now as we really see COVID expand and accelerate the seamless shopping experience of online and brick and mortar, uh, trying to marry up that customer journey and customer experience in the same way is, is really um, challenging and it's been accelerated. And, and I, the last thing I'd say on that is that the customer journey mapping is, is starting to happen in more and more companies. But uh, like you said, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes. And once you start mapping a customer journey and you realize no customer journey is the same and they're not always that linear and the complexity of that gets so overwhelming that it's hard to to not go down a few rabbit holes to to do that. And so that's what I think some of the pieces have been missing is how do you take a customer journey and really find those touch points that'll make a difference to the organizational performance. And one of the things we found is that if you can focus on hassle factors and reduce friction in that customer journey, you'll get such a bigger payout then focusing on adding a new experience that might be interesting and fun and shiny object, but it could end up being a rabbit hole or distraction. So there's a lot of gold in removing dissatisfiers out of that customer journey uh, in order to improve the experience. That's really interesting. You know, I'd like to back up just for a moment. You have been a tremendous, tremendously successful entrepreneur, but you've also worked for the largest company and the world. So you've ha had both extremes. And I want to talk about that. But before I do, I want to talk about how your journey with the Walton College started 22 years ago. And now that you've retired from Walmart, you're back in Northwest Arkansas, and you're getting involved with us again. But tell the story about how you got involved with Walton College in the first place. 
Well, it's it's a, it's a fun and exciting story for me personally because it goes back to the very beginning of when I started um, a business and I had this dream to build a company from scratch. I always wanted to be to follow up on that entrepreneurial spirit and thing that that you want to do. And and at 33, if you don't if you don't take that step, sometimes then it, you get so uh, locked into life that it never it never happens. And so it was a time to do that. And we had sold the house, sold the furniture. Uh, my wife said I couldn't sell the kids, so we had to stay with that. <laughs> but but basically, from a kitchen table, um, I started uh, a, an agency idea uh, that was really very, very early in, in, in thinking of what I wanted it to become. And I opened up the paper the first day on the job and read into the, the Democrat Gazette about this story of the Walton family uh, giving a gift to the university, and 50 million of that gift went to the College of Business. And it wasn't called the Walton College of Business, but it just was the, the it kept referring to the, the college that got the gift. And I thought, wow, you know, this is a real opportunity. So I cold called uh, Dr. Doyle Williams, the dean of the business school at the time, and I don't know how I got through, but I did. And he graciously took the call and I congratulated him on getting the gift. And I said, now's the moment where we can really kind of take this opportunity and become more like the Wharton School or the, or the Kellogg School versus the, the school that got the gift. And because it was the largest gift to a public uh, college. And so, and, and I said, I can help you with that. And he said, uh, well, who are you again? And uh, <laughs> we worked through that. But he kindly invited me down in my very first project in uh, starting a business in my entrepreneurial career was with the College of Business to brand it and go through a branding exercise. And I got to meet with several faculty and we spent six months just talking about what does it mean uh, to, to be this college and what can it be? And I think some of the remnants of that work were, are still around today. And I think when I was in the UK, uh, you became the dean then uh, in that time period. And so when I came back, I said, the first thing I got to do is call Matt Waller and just see what's going on with the college, because it's really been a credible, incredible journey to see what you guys have done. Not only the branding become number one in supply chain. Uh, and so if we can, you know, continue to do that in this area of the connected customer, I think there's some real opportunity to see that mature. Well, Andy, you have a degree in computer science and it seems like you fairly quickly got into marketing how did that transition occur well now it's in vogue to have that background uh, and so i'm free to talk about it where uh, for some period of time being in the creative space uh, in a marketing space if you were to say you had a, a computer science background you would be fixing people's iphone connections and things of that nature but uh, back in uh, 91 92 in a procter and gamble world brand management and marketing it wasn't really a tech-centric space so uh, it was just a leap of faith that this is something I could learn. And so I had an interim step between Procter & Gamble to this full-on marketing of three years at uh, Dayspring Cards as the VP of Marketing and Creative. And it really um, just ignited all the elements of what made me come alive as a person to see those elements work. Now today, fast forward, technology is such an important part. And I find myself often referring back to the first 10 years of my career of the things I learned in tech and clearly, I believe tech is a very creative space. If you're developing programming and creating yeah. user interfaces from a scratch, it doesn't get the credit it deserves, I think, in terms of how creative you have to be in a technology sector. So then you eventually started 
such and such X, which mm-hmm. was originally called Thompson Murray, I believe. Yes. I believe you were the first company to be in this space called shopper marketing. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners won't understand the difference between shopper marketing and marketing. Would you mind explaining that? Sure. You know, back in the early days, early days, mid to mid late nineties, um, Procter and Gamble uh, and many big CPG companies were starting to look at the store space, and Walmart, as an example, was getting 100, 100 million eyeballs a week through the stores. That's more than any media channel could could pull together in terms of ratings, and the conversation started around, you know, what would uh, it look like if you treated that space as a media channel, and put the same discipline and measurement and thinking behind how do you connect to those shoppers and that store space became a much more important place to reach people and reach customers than some of the media choices being used in a pure marketing perspective and in marketing the store and that customer journey was seen more as a promotional space more tactical and we hired very early on you know PhD in clinical psychology to look at how shoppers think and look at purchase barriers and the key difference is you know we're looking at some of the marketing techniques of how do you engage people emotionally uh, as you would in a traditional marketing discipline but then connecting with them in those path to purchase moments that can decide i mean it, no matter how much marketing you spend in your brand if a customer only spends uh, you know three seconds in front of your category before making a decision you know, that's where that moment of truth was really going to be fought and won or not. And so elements like package design, uh, display, engagement, communication, all those things became a, a collection of, of competencies that created a new approach to go to market with your brand and, and help win that first moment of truth through the store environment. And so that's that was the beginning of it. And it became, you know, such a powerful concept then and producing results that we quickly grew from Northwest Arkansas to uh, 22 offices all around the world in growing the idea that you can connect with shoppers differently than we might have done it in the past. So you not only started the company, but you really were a pioneer in a new industry. But prior to that, you'd been working for a large company, Procter & Gamble. I know you you were at at Dayspring, which was a Mm -hmm. medium-sized company. And then you started your own business. And then you started another business, Mercury 11, and sold it a year later, and then you went to work for the biggest company in the world. That, that's a well, big transition. That, yeah, <laughs> and I wish to, you know, it's hard to explain how life unfolds sometimes. You know, some people think it's a puzzle, and you just got to figure it out, and and I think, uh, you know, I hear a lot of young uh, young, what's young today? So t- I have 27-year-olds come in my office and say, I'm not sure I want to do shopper marketing for the rest of my life. I'm not sure what my purpose is. And, you know, it, 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 there is a whole line of thinking that you, your career is involved and emerge based on, a pu- you know, you figure out this, where you want to end up, and then it ends up being like a puzzle. And the first thing you do in a puzzle is you look for the edges, you look for the corners, because that's the easiest place to start, and you spend the rest of your career trying to put in the pieces. Uh, I've never found it to work that way as you can just as you just described it's much more like a mosaic and i think when you build a mosaic you find those core centerpieces 
the edges are always fuzzy and you get the next thing in and you look at it and say, how does this fit? And it builds and it unfolds. And you may not be till the end of your career. Well, hopefully this isn't the end of my career, but all of a sudden the tapestry emerges, a mosaic of connections and pieces that you wouldn't have imagined and you couldn't have architected. When you think that way, I think you look at the moment you're in and say, I'm going to be all in in this moment. And then you start seeing how things might connect, um, how I got to Walmart. I had been part of the Center for Retailing and worked that for 10 years. And when I was working on Mercury 11, I kind of stepped out to do something brand new. And I got a phone call from Claudia Mobley uh, saying the keynote speaker couldn't make it with like two days notice. And you've got 800, 800 to 1,000 people coming. And she said, can you speak? And I'm thinking, well, man, I, I haven't been you know, up to speed on the current supplier retail space that much. I was in a tech world. So I just took 10 note cards and wrote down you know, what every sales supplier might need to know about technology that I just discovered working in a room for 24-year-old engineers and, and gave that talk. And little did I know, uh, Stephen Quinn, the CMO of Walmart, was in the front row and called me a few days later and said, hey, would you like to come to Walmart and do some of the things you've been doing with digital and marketing and creative? That's where that took off. But if it wasn't for just saying yes to Claudia and what she needed done at that time in that moment and taking that risk, it wouldn't have happened. It, yeah, it, it has moved quickly. Of course, you had a vision for it, which makes a mm. big difference. And so, of course, you stayed at Walmart for quite a while and then Walmart ASDA Mm -hmm. for several years. Um, but that is, your your career is quite remarkable um, and what you've accomplished. So we're very fortunate to have you engaged with us. So thank you. Um, I would like to back up a second. Based on your foundation, and we're in this time where the digitization of everything has been sped up. COVID sped it up unequivocally. I mean, there's people using technology today that never dreamed they'd be using Zoom, setting up their own webinars to communicate with people in their organization or customers, you know, learning how to set up technology in their home so they can be effective, uh, using new software solutions that they've never had to use before. So, so we've got this huge base of people that, all of a sudden have found a way to be effective working remotely. Mm. And at the same time, because of COVID, that at the same time, because of COVID, you have a situation where people are using, some people don't want to go into the grocery store or they don't want to go in very much. And so they use grocery pickup or they use delivery to their home. And I know Walmart, of course, was a pioneer, is a pioneer in grocery pickup. And this really sped them up because all of a sudden they had to increase their capacity in pickup to a level that had never been imagined. But, but I guess my point is the world's changing so quickly. We've been talking about omnichannel for years, but it sped up. Omnichannel is retail. E-commerce and brick and mortar are smack dab together now. So I think the time for this kind of initiative that you're heading up for us, bringing in thought leadership, is really important for our students especially because if our students come out 
having more of a understanding of these phenomena and how it affects business, it will give them an advantage whether or not they go to work for an, an established company or they start their own business or they work for a growth company. Um, but I'm wondering from, from your perspective now, what types of areas would be in the scope of what you might be looking at as the Walton College's executive chair of the customer-centric leadership? Well, Matt, it's a great question. Uh, and it's a, and from a scope standpoint, you know, the scope really came together for me uh, in terms of my last four years at ASTA as a chief customer officer. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of um, companies that are have thought about chief customer. They haven't really made that move yet. And in the UK, it's more common perhaps to see that than a traditional CMO uh, role, and it's an emerging mark. It's an emerging space where we're seeing more and more companies think so intentional about the customer and what does it mean to connect those dots that they're creating this role at the exact level, in order to shape and pull it together. It's the first time I'd taken on a role like that, and the breadth of it really does require you to have conversations that cross, you know, what should our call center guidelines be, and how do you talk to customers? Well, that typically doesn't come in the scope of a CMO, uh, and lots of conversation around technology in terms of, you, we mentioned a lot of the apps and things that can be developed today that consumers are using that really change their, exper their experience and their expectations, you're getting a lot of conversations with the technology officer around where can the customer fit in the tech stack in the roadmap and how does that compete against e-commerce? And then you're into conversations around media. Uh, you know, 50% of the paid media in the U.S. is in, going to be in Facebook, Google, you know, certain set of platforms. What you're hearing about today in terms of, you know, Facebook and some of the challenges that they're having in the month of July with boycotts. So you get into conversations around, you know, what should our policies be? What do our customers think? How do you connect to customers in this media space? when you don't own those platforms. So there's been quite a bit of push for getting your own customer data as a brand or as a retailer and be able to have an addressable customer base that you can talk to very directly. Well, historically, that's usually a high cost uh, venture that takes time to build and in a low cost model, you know, that's not easy thing to, to rationalize and justify on terms of how does that work. But in, in addition to that, you have GDPR and other rules around customer data now just emerging. So that's not going to be a walk in the park in terms of figuring out what should be your customer data policy and how do you respectfully build the, that brand conversation interaction across the customer through customer data? How do you reach them from a media side? And these are starting to get interconnected conversations that from an academic standpoint, what I'm excited about is I think this is a, a real opportunity for, um, for academia, for Walton College of Business to start integrating these cross-departmental conversations because it's starting to show up in the business community as a more integrated set of conversations than they've been in the past. And there's not a lot of resource out there, not a lot of places you can go to get answers that starts to pull together the right pieces. You know, how do you want, do you really want to get into customer journey mapping if you don't know how to prioritize what you're going after? 
because of the number of places you could spend your time trying to improve something that may not pay out in terms of it, it, what the customer's looking for. So the timing couldn't be better because of the changes in media, technology. Uh, we're looking at algorithms and uh, and how does AI change the customer experience when you look at fairness and you look at, at biases that are inherent and sometimes in big data. You want to be able to sort those out. So a lot of good connection with what Cindy Mooring's doing on business ethics and integrity because you do see these conversations cross. And so I'm excited about pulling that scope together to give us a bigger platform to work cross-departmentally in the university and prepare students. Because, you know, I would never would have told a student probably 10 years ago, if you want to get to CMO, you need to make a stop in the customer service department <laughs> and really look at how customers think and talk to your brand. That probably wouldn't have been on the career path. But I think in today's world of a chief customer, those become really really rich. And I think what's helped me most actually is having a very diverse career, but people don't set out to have those kind of careers. Uh, they just kind of happen to you. And so if we can inform a student base of some of the choices that might be different, or we can create different conversations, I think we'll produce more students that have that upward relevance all the way to the board of being able to connect the dots around that total customer world. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic.